God for the wisdom of God. Let me hear your hands this morning. I want to say a quick thank you to those that filled in while we're gone at General Presbytery meeting in Orlando. And it was a good meeting. There were some great times of prayer and great information that was shared. And so just pray for our fellowship that we'll continue to move forward in what God has for us. But thank you to those that filled in. And uh, I heard that Pastor Justin did a great job on Sunday and on Wednesday. So I appreciate that. And all the other gaps were taken care of. And a miracle happened while I was gone. The playground started. So... (laughs) We've had delay after delay after delay with that, and uh, we're just thankful it's finally getting started. Well, we're going to begin a new series today, and before I go into the message, I want to give you a peek behind the curtain. Is that okay? Kind of what happens as, as um, I, I seek God for direction for the messages that I bring, and I really take that seriously, believe that we need to have the mind of God. And um, I want you to kind of see that a little bit to um, provide a bit of a disclaimer for me this morning. Um, after we finished our last series, and I will tell you, I'm, I was prepared to go out and get ice cream in between services. I'm disappointed I can't do that today. Hope you had fun with Family Fun Days. And uh, while you're clued into that, today is the opening for signups for small group leaders for the fall uh, session, and so you can do that online. There'll be someone to help you out in the audit, uh, out in the foyer at the uh, kiosks. And if you are, if you believe in our connect groups, we want leaders. We need people to rise up and lead that. Today is your day to sign it and do the work of the kingdom. All right. So everyone that just heard me, uh, raise your hand. Repeat after me. Today is the day that connect groups begin. Sign-ups for leaders. And I will... No, I'm sorry. (laughs) Go by and do that. So thinking about what should we do for the month of August, and I had nothing, really. I I didn't know what to do, and so I just started to pray and read and wait on God. Give me some direction, and through a series of readings and, and study, I felt like God said, I want you to spend the month of August pursuing my wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And I thought, okay, but if you've read the book of Proverbs, you know that it's difficult to preach from any chapter of the book of Proverbs. How do you decide where to go? And I was reminded, I felt like as I prayed, I was reminded that there are Bible studies that emphasize reading a proverb a day to gain the wisdom of God. So how does that work? It's amazing. On day one, you read Proverbs 1. On day two, you read Proverbs 2. Do you know how many chapters there are in the book of Proverbs? There's 31. So on days that there are 31 months, you get them all. Otherwise, on the 30th day of the month, you have to read them both. And in February, you have to read from 28 to 31. But reading a proverb a month. And I said, all right, that's, yeah, let's challenge. So I want to challenge you to do that. During the month of August, will you join me? in reading a proverb a day, a chapter that corresponds to the day of the month. With eyes open and trying to manipulate with guilt, how many will raise your hand and say you'll join me? All right, so let's do that. Let's let the word of God permeate us. But I was still stuck with how do I preach through 
Proverbs, and I felt like God said to me that preach the Proverb chapter that's on the day of the Sunday as people are reading through. So you'll know that today is the seventh. We're going to be in chapter seven. Next week we'll be in chapter 14. And what's seven after that? 14 comes? We'll be in chapter 21. And then seven days later is 28. We'll be in chapter 28. So you can read ahead. Feel free to send me emails on how I should approach that chapter and come prepared. So I really wanted us to explore it. I felt like God dropped that in my heart. How are we going to get through this? Because here's what I believe too. I think sometimes we put too much emphasis on where we read because I believe that the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, that you can open it anywhere and begin to read and God can speak to you. The book is alive. So we'll be in those four chapters exploring the wisdom of God. Proverbs has been described as a string of pearls because there's not necessarily a theme that unites every chapter, but are rather a series of truths that are linked together in a chapter format. And so some chapters, you can't preach through the whole chapter because they're so different in what they address. And other chapters, there seems to be a theme. But it's thought after thought, wisdom after wisdom. If you want the wisdom of God, the book of Proverbs is a great place to begin. The Bible is divided into various genres for study. In the Old Testament, we have Pentateuch history, poetry, major and minor prophets. In the New Testament, we have the Gospels, history, epistles, and apocalyptic literature. But then there's a smaller set within that in the Old Testament called wisdom literature. And wisdom literature is defined as Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. There's much of God that's revealed even in the book of Job and certainly in Ecclesiastes to show us the wisdom of God. But the clearest, most profound declarations of his wisdom will be found in the book of Proverbs. And so we're going to talk about words of wisdom. The Bible calls us in Colossians chapter 4 to walk in wisdom toward those that are outside redeeming the time. We're to walk in the wisdom of God. And we're living in a world that is becoming more and more foolish and anti-God. The Bible also calls us to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. And so it's important that we understand what it really means to walk in the wisdom of God in the broken, foolish world that we find ourselves living in. Why a word of wisdom? And that's a phrase you probably have heard that's defined this way. One word is sufficient to convey an entire uh, meaning because the receiver is wise enough to understand the entire meaning from only one word. That's where that phrase comes from. So it's saying that if you have a basis of wisdom, you can share with someone a word of wisdom that will resonate in them because they have a base. So I don't expect anything that I say to resonate with people who are foolish. I believe it'll resonate with people who are wise, who have experienced the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. And once you've experienced that, the wisdom of God becomes available to you through the word of God. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 9, Do not speak to a fool, for he will scorn the wisdom of your words. It's essential that there be a foundation of faith for you to be able to understand the wisdom of God. So this morning, we're going to begin in chapter 7. And I went through this entire process 
before I read chapter 7. And then I thought, God, was that me (laughs) or was that you? I think I'd rather do chapter 6 or 5. Because what is chapter 7 about? Chapter 7 deals with wisdom that will protect us from moral failure, specifically the tragedy of adultery. That's what chapter 7 is about. Verse 5 says, They, the commands and teachings of this chapter, will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife, with her seductive words. I want to establish a a baseline for this this morning on the issue of sexual intimacy in the context of a Christian relationship, a Bible-based foundation. And if you're an adult here, raise your hand. The rest of you need to go to filling station. (laughs) Or maybe promised land, I don't know, where you would fit in. But I want to explain a couple of things. Understanding that there are many people who are in Christ who have found forgiveness for tragedies in their past. And it's not my intention this morning to cause anyone pain. But I believe it's more important to build a fence at the top of the cliff than to park an ambulance at the base of the cliff. And so I can't ignore the subject simply because it might bring up some wounds from someone's past, but everyone else is talking about sexuality. Don't you think the church ought to provide for our teenagers and our young adults and our senior adults what the Bible says to us about this important vital subject that affects every human on the planet in one way or another? Sexual intimacy must be understood as the sealing of the marriage covenant. It is not just an act of passion or of satisfaction. It's what God ordained to be the sacrament that seals the marriage relationship. That's why sex before marriage is so damaging, whether people admit it or not, Because God's plan was that you would make a commitment before him to live together with that individual, man to a woman, woman to a man, for the rest of your life. And when that commitment was made, then the sealing of that covenant, a blood covenant in a sense, was the act of physical intimacy, the sexual relationship. Culture would tell us today that sex is an appropriate expression between any two consenting adults. If you were to just watch what's happening on the media and read the secular news, you'd, be, you'd begin to believe that everybody is having sex with everybody anytime they want. And that is what's happening in the plague of our culture. And we've so been influenced by that that we've lost the sacredness of the sexual relationship. It's not just for physical satisfaction. It's not just for procreation. There's a spiritual component to the sexual relationship that seals a covenant between a man and a woman in the eyes of God. And anything outside of that blasphemes the marriage covenant. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
Nothing could be further from the truth that sex is an appropriate expression between consenting adults. Satan and this culture are working hard to diminish the sacredness of the sexual relationship. I understand the negative impact that can happen from it. I understand that it's an offense that is possible to be forgiven and restored, but is the most difficult of broken relationships to recover from. Solomon here is giving wisdom to protect from the profound negative impact of adultery. And while marriages can be mended, it's better to not need being mended. I read this from a counseling ministry. They aren't my words, it's from a counseling website. Infidelity undermines the very foundation of marriage in many ways. It causes heartbreak and devastation, loneliness, feelings of betrayal, and confusion to one or both spouses in a marriage. Some marriages break up after an affair, others survive and become stronger and more intimate. But however you view it, adultery is a devastating impact on a marriage relationship. How broken is this world? We had a couple in a previous church we pastored that experienced an affair. And uh, they wouldn't come to see me, wouldn't come to talk to me. Finally, they did. And I said to them, what makes you willing to talk to me now? And the wife said to me, he had an affair and broke our marriage vows, and I wasn't willing to fix them till I had an affair. Now I've had one, we're even, let's put it back together. That's stupid. But that's how our world thinks. In the world, that makes sense, because it's the wisdom of the world. But how many know that the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God and the wisdom of God is foolishness in the world? So I'm not trying, I don't know if there's something in your past that this hurts you this morning. That is not my intent. I believe that if you have repented and God has forgiven, he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against you again. So this message isn't to make you feel guilt. It's to say to those who have not found themselves at the bottom of the cliff, don't go there. And Proverbs chapter 7 is how to protect yourself from the seductress of the man or woman who wants to see you fall. So what's the cure? (laughs) So glad you asked. This is the cure. This is the protection. And I'm going to show it to you in the first two verses of Proverbs 7. But before we do that, I'd like everyone in the house to raise your Bible, your digital device, and you have the entire book memorized, just raise your hand. (laughs) Raise something to represent Scripture in the air, everyone. I will wait. I'm not kidding you. Hold it up. All right? Everybody. At least put a hand in the air over here. Put your hand in the air. Come on. I want 100% participation. Come on, help me. Just put a hand in there. Thank you very much. I'm serious about this. All right, here we go. I want you to repeat after me. This is the word of God. And I believe that it is true. Say it again. This is the word of God. And I believe that it is true. 
and if you really, you can stop repeating, but if you really believe that it's because I heard somebody starting to go with me, if you really believe it's true, it is life-changing. And Solomon talks to us about the impact of the word of God that will protect you from um, adultery, moral failure. What's the first step? Number one, you have to store up God's commands within you. Store up God's commands within you. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. What does the word store mean? It means to hoard, to reserve, to treasure, or hide in a secret place. So all of us have things that we store up. Number one, you can't store up what you don't have. If you're storing up my stuff, that's called theft and I want it back. But you can only store up what you possess. You can only store up what you own. And he's saying, take the commands of God and store them up. And do you know what you also have to have to store up? You have to have an increase of goods that you're storing. I don't know how many of you have hobbies of collecting, but Trudy, I didn't think about this ahead of time, but you're sitting there, I'm gonna point you out. You collect business cards, correct? I know you do, so <laughs> Kevin told me. How many, how many, just give me a guess, do you think you have? A thousand? 10,000? That is called storing up. Okay? That's called storing up. I want to get one of mine in that collection if it's not already there. Storing up. Some people collect baseball cards. Anybody collect baseball cards? Used to? Yeah, so uh, Charlie's back there. Charlie, how many baseball cards at its peak do you think you had? Thousands. Thousands? Uh, who else raised your hand baseball cards? How many did you have? A few thousand. Uh, how many store up? Yes, how many do you have? Uh, I have like 300. 300? So do you see that storing up is something, what is that? It's something that has meaning and value to you that you're increasing your storehouse so that um, you can use it in the future or just as part of a hobby that rewards you. It's a positive thing to do that. When I was a kid, I collected Lincoln uh, Lincoln copper pennies, steel pennies from the 40s, the, the wheat pennies. Do you remember those? And I had a bunch of those, and then they disappeared. I don't know what happened to them, but I wish I had them today because I could use those to pay for some of my hobbies. <laughs> Storing up means you have found something that you value. You've placed um, value on something that you treasure. It's rare, it's valuable, it's sentimental, it has some meaning to you. So what I want you to see is that in handling the word of God, the first step in protecting yourself is to begin to store up the word of God. How do you store up the word of God? You read it, you study it, you memorize it, you make it your own, you put value in it, that it has enough value for me to store it up. And I'll tell you one of the greatest ways to store up the commands of God is scripture memorization. I still quote today scriptures I memorized when I was in TBQ in junior high. I've stored that up. Hopefully you've stored that up. Let me put it another way. When I was a youth pastor back in the Conestoga wagon days, 
I wanted to make a point to them about how much they valued the word of God. So I said, imagine that we've been taken over by an atheistic regime. And I had all of them bring their Bibles and lay them on the platform at the front. Lay them all here at the front. And then I gave them paper and pencil. And I said, write down all the scripture that you know without looking it up. And there wasn't enough to fill a bread box. They had not been storing up the word because I would say to you, the only part of the word of God that you're storing up are the parts of the word of God that you can recite when you put the Bible down. I grew up with value on the word of God. I was taught as a kid, you don't put the Bible on the ground. Anybody else grow up that way? You put it on top of other books. You treat it with respect. And then one day it dawned on me, it doesn't matter what you do with the cover and pages of the Bible if I'm not storing it up in my heart, if I'm not getting it inside of me. You need to store it up. Let it fill your storage facility. Assimilating and absorbing. And that storing place is in the secret place of your heart. So the question is, do you treasure God's commands? Do you treasure them? If you argue with it, you're not treasuring it. Do Christians do that? Oh, <laughs> where have you all been? I read this in the Bible, but I don't think that's what it means. It can't mean that today. That can't be true in our culture. Can't be true in our world. You're not storing that up when you're arguing with it. You're not storing it up when you chafe against it. Nobody has the right to tell me what to do. Nobody has the right to tell me how to live my life. You don't have any right to tell me what the word of God really says. When you mock it, you're not storing it up. When you argue with it, when you chafe against it, when you, um, when you mock it, it's not having any impact on you. When you resist it, you're not storing it up. We have to see the commands of God as essentially valuable. Treasuring God's commands. The Bible says in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden it. So the first step is to store it. How much is in your storage box? How much do you have there? If uh, someone would come to me and say, well, I'm, I'm saving baseball cards, if they still even do those. I don't know. I haven't done that for years. But I'm saving baseball cards. Well, how many of you stored up? I have three. You're not storing them up. You're not storing them up. There's something that you have amassed. What are you storing? Second, store it up within you. Second, you have to keep God's commands around you. It says to us that we need to store up our, the commands within us and keep my commands. Now, I'm saying that as keeping it around us because it says to give heed to them. So not only are you storing it up, you're living it out in daily life. The word give heed or keep means to guard, observe, and pay attention. It's more than valuing, but paying attention to God's commands. You need to pay attention to what you're keeping stored up. Have you ever put something in a tub and put it in the attic? 
and went back to get it from safekeeping. It's all mildewed and damaged and moisture has ruined it. Anybody ever had that experience? You went to save it and then you didn't, you didn't guard it. When we were in Bible college, uh, Carol had a roommate. Her name was Beverly and uh, Beverly was hilarious. She was easy to prank and I know this wasn't nice, but I loved to stand behind a door when she'd walk by and just say boo, and she would, you know, it looked like she was being electrocuted. She would jump. And one day I did that, and she came around the corner, and she said, you buffon. She meant buffoon, but it came out wrong. You buffon. So that became the ongoing joke. So there were some times, you know, where we would laugh at her. Well, she came back from Christmas break, and she brought home a birthday cake, and she wanted to store it up for a special day. So they had a wardrobe. How many know what a wardrobe is? Chronicles of Narnia, wardrobe, doors. She put it on top of the wardrobe to save for a special day. She stored it up. And then two or three weeks later, she said, I have a birthday cake. I think it's time to eat it. And she pulled it down. And it had physically changed its characteristics. It looked more like a shag carpet than a birthday cake. It was growing things. And they laughed about that. But it's one thing to store it. Come on. It's one thing to store it. It's another thing to guard it. To be aware of it. To check on it. To let it, um, let it be at the center of your attention. Things in storage can begin to decay. Things that are stored can be lost. In fact, Jesus warns us of that in Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break through and steal. He warns us that some of the things we store can be corrupted or stolen. That's why when you're storing up the word of God, you have to guard it. You have to give heed to it. You guard it by giving heed to it because God's commands give life. That is without exception. God's commands give life. Of a friend who um, I'd see at the, at the gym, we talked about various things going on in life, and I'll never forget the day that he came in shaking his head. He, he just seemed to have one trouble after another. He had a diesel truck that he drove around, and one day he wasn't paying attention and he pumped regular gas into his diesel truck. And he started to drive away. And it started making funny noises. He immediately realized what he'd done, pulled it over, didn't ruin the engine, he caught it quick enough, but it was an incredible task to drain all of the gas out of the vehicle and then purge it of remnant and get it back running on diesel. That could have been a tragedy. And here's the point. It doesn't matter how good his intentions were. His violation of the owner's manual was still gonna destroy the truck. It doesn't matter how much he wanted regular gasoline to run in his diesel truck. It wasn't going to run. 
You see, if you want something you own to operate at its highest capacity, the best way for you to do that is honor the owner's manual and do what the owner or the, the manufacturer says to do. Because the one that created it knows how best to operate it. You want to enjoy life? Solomon tried that in ways outside the wisdom of God. And at the end of his pagan journey into all of the pleasures of life, he comes to the end of his journey in Ecclesiastes and sums it up this way. What's it all about? Remember now your creator in the days of your youth that if you want to enjoy life to the full, you need to honor the owner's manual. Why did he say the things he said? Not to ruin your life or take away your fun. The devil has lied to you, has lied to us. If we live by the rules that God set down, it'll operate at its most efficient and effective and fulfilling way of living. You've got to live it. You can't just store it. You've got to keep guard on it. You've got to keep checking. How am I doing in regard to the word of God? How am I living my life? It will keep you from sin and give you life. And in that, there is fullness of joy. So, so far, when we're talking about the wisdom of God, you need to store it up. That's where it starts. It doesn't start with living. It starts with storing it up. Get it in you. Store it up. Make a commitment. This month, I'm going to read a proverb a day. This year, I'm going to read a chapter a day. This year, I'm going to memorize a verse of scripture every month. Something of that sort to begin to store it up. If the word of God is valuable to you, you will store it up. Then you need to guard it. You need to live by it. You need to let it surround you. So storing it and living by it. Then, third, he tells us you need to guard God's commands with passion. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Guarding the word of God. That word means to keep watch, protect, and save. So let me ask you this. What does that mean? So picture this because he doesn't you know what he doesn't talk about here at all a 12-step program for sexual purity he doesn't even talk about accountability as much as i believe in accountability because if you'll lie to your wife or your husband you'll lie to your accountability partner come on i'm not against any of those those are all valuable but if you want to keep yourself from falling off the cliff then get the word of god stored up in you and then begin living by its precepts and then guard it as the apple of your eye that it that you are protecting its impact on your life so here's the question is anything moving you away from the truth of god's word is anything moving you away from the truth of god's word now um I've been around a little while, long enough to see some things and learn by experience. And I've discovered something that I've found to be fascinating. I've watched people who said, this is sin, until their grandchildren start doing it, and then they change their position. This is sin until their children started doing it. 
we had this discussion in a board meeting at, a, at another church, and it was kind of fun, um, because the culture has changed, and there's a difference between changing because there are things around you that change. We no longer drive Conestoga wagons, I get that. No longer wear leisure suits. Some of you might still have one, but we don't do that anymore. It's another thing to change your values. Whole other thing to do that. So there was a day, some of you will remember, that on the AG membership card, it said that to be a member of an AG church, there were a lot of things you couldn't do, and one of those things was to go to movies. Anybody remember when we couldn't go to movies? If, if you went to a movie, that's what Jesus would come and you'd be left behind. Go to a movie, go straight to hell, do not collect $200. And we were bringing people into membership and they're saying, are you serious? So I talked about it in a board meeting and this just made me laugh. I said, I think it's time for us to change that um, because I understand what the founding fathers were trying to do. Today's movies, even at the lower ratings, are oftentimes abominable. And they had a sense in the spirit that something was coming that they should defend against. In fact, I remember hearing television preached against as television and, and the influence. But here's the issue. It wasn't cinema that was the problem. It was the content of the cinema. It wasn't television that was the problem. It was the content of television. And I believe in the early days, God was trying to set a protection for us. And we made the mistake we always do. We began to judge the, sub, we began to judge the symbol rather than the substance. So we're having this discussion about going to movies. I said, do any of you go to movies? <laughs> no. Okay. Do your kids go to movies? With your permission. Silence. I said, here's how I want to change our membership standard. We're going to change it this way. To be a member of our church, you can go to all the movies you want, but you have to get rid of your television. Because nobody knows what you're watching when you shut the door. And I'm more concerned about you, what you watch behind a closed door than the movie you go to see. There was a day that you had to go somewhere to see a movie. Anybody remember that? You know, Rotary phones, you had to go see a movie. And all that has changed. And, and they realized that a standard they wanted to impose on the church, they weren't willing to impose in their household. Then that's not a standard you believe. It doesn't change because your children or grandchildren start doing it. It needs to change either that God has given you a revelation that you were wrong or you hold to that ground. That's what it means to guard it. Is there anything moving you away from the word of God? Sometimes people move away from the word of God because of the wrong things they want to do. And they say, it doesn't really apply to me. We don't guard it. 
We don't value it. Paul writes this way to the church in Galatia. Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ is clearly portrayed as crucified. Are you so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? You believed this once. Now you don't believe it. What happened? What in the Word of God do you have a greater understanding of? What has moved you away from your commitment to the Word of God? In the book of Colossians, he writes, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is a gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Continue in the faith, not move from your hope in the gospel. Don't move away from the truth of this book. Don't move from that. And so I would appeal to you, where are you? Are you in a place of doubt, in a place of struggle? Don't move away. Anything that is moving you away from the word of God, hear me, anything that moves you away from the word of God is setting you up for immorality, setting you up for failure. Do you guard it? How much so? As the apple of your eye, not an apple in your eye, but the apple of your eye. It's a term that originally referred to something that someone cherishes above all others because it was an idiom referring to the pupil of the eye. The blink reflex protects the eye from foreign objects and bright lights. And that's referred to as the menace reflex. Blinking of the eyelids may also include turning the head, neck, or even the trunk away from the optical stimulus that triggers the reflex. You have an involuntary um, response to anything that's going to hit your eyes. There have been times I felt something riding my motorcycle. I felt something touch my eyelash and my eyelid shut before it got into my eye. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You didn't even see it. And I can prove that by this test. So Barry, I'll, I'll pick on you. You're right there. But have you ever tried this? I promise to not make contact with you. Okay, I promise not to. But whenever you do that, there's an involuntary blink unless you know it's coming and you focus all of your attention to keep your eyes open. Go ahead and try it with your neighbor. Poke him in the eye and see. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Three stooges. You know that that's one of the hardest things to do. If I'm coming at your eye, to not blink. You have to just focus. I believe he's not going to poke me in the eye. Now, if you didn't know me, you'd be blinking right away. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's what it means. Your eye is designed to protect you from assault. And so he's saying, the Bible tells us that we are the apple of God's eye. How much does God love you with all that he has manifested to mankind? The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, in the desert land he found him, Israel, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. I want you to think about the love of God and how much God loves Israel, how much he loves you, and how much he guards you as the apple of his eye. In Zechariah chapter 2 verse 8, this is what the Lord Almighty says. After he has honored me, he has sent me against the nations that have plundered you. For whoever touches you touches the apple of God's eye. There was an old chorus. Probably, I, doubt, I doubt any of you have ever heard this. I'm not going to sing it to you. I'm just going to read the lyrics. We, we, and 
When I was in Bible college, we had to sing a chorus before every class. There were, and some that just stayed with you because we sang them so much. And one of them was this one. Keep me, Jesus, as the apple of thine eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wing. Keep thy hand upon me, lest I die. Keep me, Jesus, as the apple of your eye. Now, I don't know, has anybody ever heard that chorus? Nobody, maybe one, okay. The idea being, Psalm, t- Psalm tells us that we are the apple of God's eye. In other words, he's not gonna let anybody poke him in the eye by getting to you. How many are glad for that? How many want that kind of protection? Then Proverbs says, if you want that, then you have to make the word of God the apple of your eye. It is protected. I will fight to defend it. When we were, I'll give you an example in a different way. While I was at General Pressery meeting in Orlando, um, our legal counsel, Dr. Richard Hammer, has retired, and there's a new attorney that is keeping her position uh, with the organization, the Alliance for Freedom, Defense of Freedom, something like that. I need to look that up. But she um, gave us a worldwide view of what's happening around the world in freedom of religion and freedom of speech. She was one of the attorneys on the team that argued the Roe v. v. Wade case that was just overturned. She has argued several Supreme Court cases on her own and won them. And listen to what she said. When we're on a college campus or anything that involves freedom of speech at a school, liberals who want to tear down our faith will line up instantly by the dozens. The hardest thing we have is to find a believer who will stand up and be counted on the other side. Because we've been taught to just lay down and die. And then she said, and the reason they won't line up is because of the way you're training them. That was a great word. That was a great word. I would never say to you if you walked up to me, Can I poke you in the eye? Yes, that sounds like fun. Here, let me help. (laughs) You try to poke me in the eye, I'm going to punch you in the throat. Hallelujah. (laughs) Right? Oh, come on. Don't tell me that. Not me, Pastor. God's word should be that to us. It's the apple of our eye. We're passionate about its defense. We're passionate about its value. We're passionate about its meaning. And so he's saying, if you want to be protected against moral failure, how do you do that? You store up the word of God in you. You keep the word of God in obedience around you. And you passionately defend. You love the word of God. Walk in that place of loving the word of God. Romans eleven thirty three, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. We talk about the wisdom of God. But Psalm 119 tells us, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. What are we being told? If you want to see the glorious, wonderful wisdom of God, you're going to have to fall in love with the word of God because that's where it's discovered. Save it, live it, and love it. 
and goes on to describe it this way in verse 3. Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. The word of God. Bind them on your hand. Put them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And the insight, you are my relative. Make the word of God family to you. How many believe that blood is thicker than water? For example, I can tell you that one of my kids did something dumb. If you come up to me and tell you that my kids are dumb, we're going to have an issue. Because blood is thicker than water. Right? Sure it is. And we are the family of God held together by the blood of Jesus. And the word of God ought to be that valuable to us. Now, if you really love someone, you don't, you don't excuse their failures. You don't excuse their mistakes. You don't make excuses for them. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there's something that binds us together. Do you have that same passion that you look at the word of God and say, wisdom is my sister. You're my family. This is part of who I am. Where is wisdom? Wisdom is found in his word. We need to be passionate about God's word. We need to be in a place where we save it, we live it, and we love it. Or we're nothing more than a faith-based club that we come together to argue over what's right or what's wrong. So then, here's the bottom line. You cannot fail morally. You cannot commit adultery if you're saving up the word, living the word, and loving the word. It's about an internal safety, not an external fence. So would you stand with me? And my prayer is that we will fall in love with the word of God, that it would become the most important thing in our lives. So let me do, I just feel like we have to have a, a point of decision this morning. I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment before we worship, before, before we worship. And how many of you would be willing to say, Pastor, this has been a wake up call for me. If I'm gonna be completely honest, I've been lax concerning my passion and hunger for God's word. I, I've, 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 it's not been a top priority in my life for a while. Would you lift your hand? Hands going up all around, just acknowledge that. And how many of you then will join me and say, from this day forward, I'm gonna store it, live it, and love it. I'm gonna make the word of God a higher priority than it's ever been, as God is my helper. If you'll join me in that journey, would you lift up your hand? We'll change the world if we'll do that. We will change the world if we do that. Now ask God to make that commitment real in your life. You stood before creation. Eternity. spoke the earth into motion my soul now to stay you 
hunger for your word in the heart of every one of us that it will be a priority that drives our lives and I ask that in your name and everyone in agreement said amen if you love Jesus let me hear your hands this morning love him and I love his word love his word a reminder we're ready to sign up leaders for our next session of connect groups and you can do that in the lobby you can see pastor kevin if you have questions and we'll be glad to help you but please uh, be willing to step up and help us in this next venture thank you so much for your faithful giving all you do for the work of the kingdom 
We're so appreciative for your generosity. Amen. God bless you and be a blessing to someone this morning.